0: What is up, Calvary Church? Good to see you. Glad that you are here with us live and in person, and glad for all of you that are joining with us online as well. You are here at a great time because it is the start of a new series, but hey, let's be honest, before that, it is actually Valentine's Day, right? So uh, glad that you are here celebrating love and uh, all that good kind of thing. I had, I had one of our gentlemen come and say he was actually served breakfast in bed. That's, uh, that was pretty awesome this morning. And uh, so I hope you've celebrated uh, Valentine's Day. You know what they say about uh, love and marriage. Marriage is a relationship where one person is always right. And the other person is a husband. So, uh, anyways. <laughs> uh, Hubbies, I hope you've taken care of Valentine's Day, and if you haven't, you still have a few more hours, so make sure you do something special. But glad you're here with us. I uh, want to take just a few minutes as we kick off a brand new series, and the series is called Unhindered. Unhindered. Say that together with me. Ready? Unhindered. We're talking about this for the next few weeks because we want to we make sure that we are letting go and living free. What does it mean to let go and live free? We believe that there is so much more that God has for us. There is so much more that God wants to do in us. We have an unconditional, loving, ever-living and creative God who has designed us for so much more. Let me say that to you again, because it really doesn't matter where you are in life, what season you are. I truly believe that for all of us, we have an unconditional loving God, an ever living God, a creative God who has designed you for more. So what keeps us from the more that God has for us? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that God is able to do far more than you or I could ever begin to even imagine. How do we get there? When life is over, oftentimes people talk about the fact that they will have to give an account, right, for all of the, the bad things that we've done. I mean, I mean, those oftentimes that are Christ followers, we we sometimes look back on and, and, and the devil does a great job of reminding us of our past and, and the, the bad things and, and, and the, the, the decisions we wish we wouldn't have made. But, but here's the thing. What if at the end of our life we have to give an account for all of the good that was left on the table? What if we have to give an account for all the good, maybe even the great, opportunities that we left because we refused to live in the freedom that God has, the freedom that God offers. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how do we get there? How do we get to where God wants us to be? We talk all about, I mean, we, we you know, living in America, freedom is a big deal. And we don't like when anyone infringes on our freedom. Even this whole pandemic, there's been much discussion about, you know, whether our freedoms have been infringed upon. But the bottom line is there are a lot of believers in Christ, a lot of Christ followers who are not living in the freedom that being his disciple allows. Something is holding us back. So what if we could release that? What if we could let that go and live in the freedom that he provides? Can you identify what it is? We're going to talk about it for the next few weeks, and hopefully we can let go of some of the things that are keeping us from being everything we can be for God keeping us from everything that God has for us and that he wants to do through us. The name of the series is called Unhindered, but the truth is, it's all about freedom. And in fact, it's even more, there, there's a better word for it than that, grace. It's all about grace. Because if you and I don't see, if we don't, as followers of Christ, see the radical nature of of New Testament grace, if we don't see the radical change that Jesus came to bring into the world through this thing called grace, we miss out on so much of what Christianity provides. It is a matter of attitude and mindset and belief. And if we somehow start with the belief that Christianity is is a religious methodology that makes people good, that makes people kind, that makes people loving. You know what we're going to end up with? We're going to end up with a big set of rules and regulations. And we're just going to keep adding to them. Because with every person, with every season, with every generation, with every culture that comes, there'll be something else that's added to the mix and we'll come up with all of these rules and regulations and all of a sudden you want to know what we will be? We will be the Pharisees that Jesus had so much trouble with when he was here on earth. Because the Pharisees had added to the law so that by the time Jesus is here, if you are a good Jewish person, you are acknowledging and living by over 600 rules and regulations. What a burden. And so when that lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, let me make it simple for you. Love God with everything that you've got and prove that by loving other people as you love yourself. And then he makes this statement, on these two hang all of the law and all of the prophets. If you get these two right, everything else falls into place. I I am someone who speaks to you out of the overflow of what's happening in my life out of the overflow of what's happening in my heart. I will oftentimes uh, jump on the internet and I'll check out the YouTube uh, or our uh, live stream of the service past and I will watch the sermon being preached as you are listening to it now. But I gotta be honest, I'm not, I'm not looking at it, listening to it for content, okay? I'm, I'm watching to see if there's something I can get better at and improve on. But if I understand that the preaching of God's word is important for you, then it's just as important for me. And so there are guys that I listen to on a fairly regular basis, guys like Andy Stanley and Craig Groeschel and Louis Giglio and Matt Chandler and David Hughes and Ed Young. And I I listen to these guys fairly regularly so that every week I'm getting stuff. And sometimes the overflow of what I am hearing and reading and seeing it oftentimes comes spilling out in a message. That's what's gonna happen today. I just want you to understand. I'd love to tell you that all of this is original from the brain of Billy Walker. (laughs) No. (laughs) It is out of the overflow, though, of how God has been dealing with me. Because what I've realized is, as we've looked at this series, and, and I've looked at what are some of the things that we need to leave behind, I realize that it is possible that part of what needs to be left behind is the narrative with which you and I have come to view life. Now, I know some of you out there like, narrative, what, what's a narrative? So, so let me give you Webster's Dictionary definition. A narrative is any account of a series of related events or experiences, whether fictional or non-fictional. A narrative is an account of a series of related events or experiences. So, for instance, a movie is a narrative, right? It's, it's, it's a director, a producer's view of an experience of events that happened. And they lead you through this story with a narrative in mind. A series that you watch on Netflix, that you catch on NBC or ABC, it's a narrative. It's a story of events and circumstances and experiences that a person or people or a police department or a fire department or a couple or a family, they are experiencing and you are hearing and being part of the narrative. Your life is a narrative. The experiences that you have been a part of, the events that have been, part of your life, have led to the narrative of your life through which you view life. It's the lens through which everything is kind of viewed. You have an opinion. You have an attitude. You have a thought process. And what has led you to that are the experiences and events of your life. Therefore, very possible that everyone in the room has a slightly different narrative than everyone else in the room, because we all have different experiences, and we all have different events, and we all have different circumstances that have led us to where we are. And we create and we live by our self-imposed narratives. And sometimes, sometimes the narrative can keep us from living in the freedom that God wants to provide. Sometimes the narrative keeps us from living in God's grace. Now, you probably know of someone who, because of the prism through which they looked at life, the, the narrative of their life, the circumstances, events, activities, experiences, they blew up their life, right? It, it blew up a marriage, it blew up their relationship with their kids, it blew up a job. You know, they were on the fast track, and all of a sudden, everything just exploded. It blew up their finances. It blew up their relationships with other people, with close friends, with relatives. And you you would sometimes look at that person, that relative, that friend, that neighbor, that person at work, and you'd say, I would never do that. I would never allow that to happen. Can I tell you something? But for the, most of you know where I'm going, don't you? Grace of God, you would. Because here's something that I know, okay? You and I were the mastermind behind every bad decision we've ever made. Okay? You and I, we masterminded it. And sometimes those bad decisions have led to what? Habits, patterns, lifestyles. That bad decision, that bad moment, that, that habit that started with one time and now all of a sudden. And even though we would look at another person and say, oh, I'll never get there, I'll never... Nope. Nope, we could. We could. Because we, we masterminded every bad decision we've ever made. But oftentimes, the narrative pushes us in another direction. Let me give you an example. What's the narrative that you had in high school? Some of you, you're there. Some of you, not that far removed. Some of you, you might need to, as Eric said, close your eyes and imagine back. (laughs) What was the narrative that you had in high school? My parents are losers and my teachers are stupid. Right? Well, oh yeah, my parents are losers. And nowadays, that really hasn't changed much, right? It just drives you as parents crazy that your kids would think that way, especially when they're texting it on a $600 device that you paid for. My parents are such losers. Let me get that out of social media. On this $800 phone that they're paying for. My teachers are all so stupid. And then finally, finally you hit an age and you look back and you're like, they were pretty smart. My parents weren't losers. My teachers weren't all stupid. They had my best interest in mind. What happened? The narrative changed. The prism through which you saw life changed. This little word called adulting maybe happened. And all of a sudden, it changed the narrative. Can I give you a few phrases? And as I give you these phrases, this is the beginning of the narrative. How you finish the sentence. And for some of you, you'll be like, that's not me. But my guess is at some point in this phraseology, you're gonna, you're gonna fit and you're gonna think, I've got a mindset. I've got a thought process. I have a narrative. And it's the experiences and it's the events and it's the circumstances in my life that have led me to this thought process. So you'll just have to kind of finish this sentence in your mind. I deserve better. I'm entitled to. I should be further along. If he loved me, If she only loved me, here's here's a big one this day and age. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It won't make any difference. What happened in your life where you would come to that understanding? It won't make any difference. It just won't make any difference. They don't deserve that. I'm better than that. I'm better than them. If they would just try harder. I can't resist. I can't resist. I've I just I, I've tried, I can't resist. Something's wrong with me. All of us could say that. I can't live without. Republicans are all Democrats are all men. Women. Oh. Baptists are so. The Catholics are all. The Charismatics are so. If only my dad had just. If only my mom had And however you finish that sentence, and many others like it, that's the narrative that you live with and by. That's the prism through which you see life. And the problem is the narratives, all they do is create cuses and isms. You're like, huh? All they do is create cuses and isms, they create excuse. They create accuse, they create recuse. Excusing our decisions, accusing others without really knowing the narrative from their perspective, recusing ourselves from godly living and loving. And the narratives, the narratives cause racism. Racism is a narrative. There were events and there were experiences and there were circumstances. Sexism. Narcissism. And here's here's one. Here is a Christian's spiritual gift. Some people are looking scripture through still, trying to find this one. Cynicism. Everybody's a cynic. Where did that thought process, where did that narrative come from? Narratives are shaped by the experiences and events of our life. So where we have been, where we are, how we were raised. So the narrative is different for all of us. You say, Billy, where are you going with this? The Apostle Paul challenges our narratives. He challenges the way we think. And he does this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn there. If you've got it on your phone, your tablet, go ahead and pop that in. If you're watching with us online, there is a Bible that is a tab right there on your screen. You can hit that and you will be able to follow along with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And I want to read for you what Paul says is the way that we combat these narratives that give us this way of thinking. He says this, first one, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul had this wonderful way of writing where he used illustration. That was especially poignant in his day to share the concepts of Christ. And when he wanted to make a point, he would oftentimes use athletics, an athlete. Sometimes he would use a farmer. But sometimes, when he wanted to strongly make the point, he would use the military. He would use a soldier. And in order to get this point across, Paul uses this very technique, illustration, and example. He says we are, and here's the first point, waging war. We're waging war. What is he doing? He is showing the importance of this. He is showing how this is so important. Why? Because into this world where On one side you had Rome. You have Caesar. You have Herod. You have soldiers. You have an empire. And on the other side you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple. And the people are living in the midst of these two narratives. And they're trying to fit into this. And Christ comes in. And what does he do? He totally upsets the apple cart. He totally just upheaves everything by saying, look, I understand all of us have a burden to carry in life, so here's what I want to recommend. Take mine. Take my yoke upon you because you will find that it is easy. It is light. He gets after the Pharisees because of the burden burden they have placed on the people with no encouragement as to how they're going to be able to get out from under it. And so he changes the way of thinking. And Paul is saying, look, This is not going to be easy. I I think you've heard it from both administrations when it comes to this virus. Have you not heard on the news whether uh, President Trump was in office or whether President Biden is in there now? Both administrations have said everything's on the table when it comes to fighting the virus. Why? Because they're saying the virus is like fighting a war. So everything is on the table. What's the famous saying? Especially true, right, on Valentine's Day? All's fair in love and war, right? Paul is saying, look, <laughs> I'm not sharing this with you because it's a piece of cake, because it's easy. This is, this is going to take, take some battle. You've probably seen some books that talk about the battle of the mind, because our thought process and our attitude is so crucial. And Paul says we are waging War. Then he talks about the weapons of the conflict. The weapons of the conflict. And what does he say? He said, hey, I'm going to have to share with you that some of you are trying to live by the standards of the world. And, and even though we live in the world, we are not fighting this war like the world does. We are not fighting with the same Weapons, weapons of the kind—they're con- not weapons of the world. How, how does the world fight the narrative? Just think about it for a minute. The narrative of so many people is so dismal and so discouraging. What do they look to do? Escape, right? If I can just escape the narrative. So still today, thousands of people die on the roads of this country because somebody has had way too much to drink and gotten behind the wheel. How? They're trying to drown out the narrative. If I can just escape the narrative. Before COVID, we had met with someone in regards to a Narcotics Anonymous having an opportunity to meet in this building at some point during the week. And the gentleman that we met with gave me a handbook. He said, this is where all of the groups are meeting. And as I thumbed through page after page after page after page after page after page after page page, in the downriver area, I kind of looked at him like, why do you need us? Because some of these meetings have too many people. They can't get them all in. Why? Because they're trying to escape the narrative. If I could just get away from the narrative And so I'll try this. And what happens? Oftentimes, when we fight that war with what the world gives us to fight, when it's over, when the high is done, when normal comes back, you feel lower, you feel worse, you feel more guilt-ridden, and it just adds to the load and the burden. Paul says, we we don't fight this war with the weapons of the world. Because if you do, it's just going to add to the difficulty. Instead, he says what? We have divine power. We have divine power. We have divine what? Power. Power. You remember when Jesus came and said, I give you my peace? A peace that passes understanding? And, and we've all relied on that at some point or another, right? And in fact, many of you today, part of your narrative, part of your story would be, I have experienced that peace in my life. I have experienced that peace where it didn't make any sense. didn't make any sense. But there was something going on in the inside that could only be explained, but God. Here's the thing Paul is saying we have the same as far as the divine power. We don't just have divine peace, we have divine power. There is something more powerful than the experiences of our lives. There is something more powerful than the weapons that the world might offer to us to try to combat that thought process. Paul says we're not fighting like the world does. We have divine power. And while we oftentimes tap in to the divine peace, I have a feeling that there... There just are not enough followers of Christ who tap into the divine power. Paul says it's there. We're not fighting like the rest of the world. We have divine power. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, some of you, you know that scripture. For some of you, it might even be a life verse. Verse. But in verse 2 specifically, I want to read you the Phillips translation. Because I think that it speaks so much to what we're talking about today. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in the Phillips New Testament translation, it says this, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. So that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good and meets all his demands and moves you towards the goal of true maturity. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Let God remold your minds from where? From within. What would the world give when Paul says we don't wage world, war like the world does? The world gives you stuff that we're taking from the outside in. Paul says, no, you've got something on the inside that you need to let out. you got to let it out. And that's the divine power that is within us. And he says, with it, we can take down the strongholds of the mine. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Demolish strongholds. Now, when you think stronghold, think, especially those of you that were raised in the church, think walls of Jericho. You remember that story? Joshua and the Israelites marching around the walls. The walls were so high, they were impenetrable. Think that when you think strongholds because he is talking about height. He is talking about the fact that over the course of time, thought by thought, narrative by narrative, we have built up these strongholds and the strongholds are protecting the narrative. And only divine power is going to be able to bust through that. Only divine power is actually going to allow you to hear the words of Jesus, love God with everything that you have, and prove it by loving your neighbor as yourself, and take that as, yeah, that's a command for me. That's how I'm supposed to live. That's what I want to dedicate my life to. Only, only the divine power of Christ is going to be able to break through that stronghold. Because the strongholds are protecting the narrative. But he says, we've got this divine power that will take it down. Those walls have been built up. How have they been built up? One thought at a time. One thought at a time. And here's what you have to understand. So often, and this may not be the case for everybody, but so often we find what we're looking for, don't we? we find what we're looking for i mean let's be honest it's valentine's day right wives you know you know that if you want something from your husband you know you are just going to keep working it and working it until you get it right you just gonna keep working this if this angle doesn't work you're gonna let's be honest kids you know how to do that to parents Parents say no, and you're like, "Eh, I don't think no is quite where we're going with this. I'll just keep working that. I'll keep working this angle. I'll change tactics. I'll come at it from another direction. Husbands, you do the same thing. People do the same thing at work. We, We usually, we are not intimidated to not go after what it is we want. And here's the thing. When we are looking for something, we'll find it. We'll find it. So if you wake up in the morning and you are looking for fear, you are looking to be afraid, well, what should I be afraid of today? You'll find it. I guarantee you, you'll find it. If you wake up in the morning and you are looking to be offended, who's going to offend me today? Who will be the first? You'll find it. Somebody will offend you. Somebody will say something offensive. Somebody will do something that just kind of irks you and moves you in the wrong way. If you wake up, just determined, you know what? World stinks. Life stinks. Let me show you evidence of it. As soon as I get the chance, you'll find it. But but here's the deal, here's the deal. If if you wake up in the morning determined that you're gonna be thankful. If you wake up in the morning determined you are gonna be grateful. If you wake up in the morning determined you are gonna worship mighty God, if you wake up in the morning and you are determined that you are going to praise Him and find reason to give Him praise, if you wake up in the morning and you are determined that your life matters to God and that the day before you is His and that He is going to give you exactly what you need for this day, you will find it. And so much of that comes from the narrative from which we look at life. Maybe that's why the psalmist, before the day had ever unfolded, said, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. And, and some of you, and trust me, I'm not picking on anybody in, in individually, but, but some of you just wake up with a frown on your face. And you are looking for the first thing to be sorrow about. Oh, woe is me. This world is terrible. The country's going to pot, and I'm just going down with it. And let me prove it to you within the first hour of my breathing existence this morning. You won't have a problem finding it. If you need help, just turn on the news. Strongholds of the mind. you got to tear them down. How do we do it? Well, he talks about it in the last point. Captive for Christ. Listen to what he says. We demolish arguments. And do you notice his language here? Do you notice his verbiage, his wording? This is strong for Paul. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every... Is it up there? No, nope, I got another verse up there. That's my bad. <laughs> we take captive every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. Did you catch that? We take captive every, what was it? Every what? Every, huh? Every thought. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Do you understand why Paul's using the words he's using? Because this is a battle. You are constantly thinking. In fact, when somebody says, hey, do this, think about nothing, it's impossible for you. Even when you think about nothing, you're thinking about something, right? Well, what is nothing? Like a blank board, a blank slate? Do I erase something? We're constantly thinking. And Paul says, look, Christ came to change the way we think. He came to change the way we look at life. He didn't change the government, did he? He didn't change Rome Oh, some of his disciples—that's what they were looking for. I mean, even even when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulled out the sword. He wasn't very good, was he? I mean, there's all kinds of soldiers, and he just takes off a guy's ear. What is that even? I don't even know how he did that. That's, that's, maybe he was waving it blindly. That would be me. <laughs> Took off an ear. People were looking for him. When are you going to set up your kingdom? When you set up? No. <laughs> the, wrong mindset. He he says, I've got a new way of thinking. It'll change your life if you let it. And Paul says, this isn't easy. But he said, you got to take every thought captive. Just as you built up those strongholds thought by thought, you got to tear them down thought by thought and as soon as that thought begins to escape and move into your mind it's as if you riding on horseback back in the old western days you take that rope and you just fling it out there and you pull that thought back nope I'm not going to do that even even better that scripture we read in Romans chapter 12 1 and 2 you know where it says uh, talks about our mind and conforming our mind don't let the world do it but let Jesus Christ transform your mind what does that mean? it means as if when your thoughts go out there you are going to grab those thoughts and you are going to bend that thought you are going to conform it to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and if the thought cannot conform to the knowledge of Christ I'm not going to let it out I'm not going to let it be part of the process I'm not going to let it put another brick in the stronghold I'm not going there I'm changing the narrative I'm changing the thought process one thought at a time One thought at a time. We take captive every thought. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, he would write these words much later. In fact, as he was moving to the end of his ministry, he'd be sitting in a prison cell and he would write to the church of Philippi in chapter 2 verse 5 and say, you must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So your reactions, your thought process, your narrative, does it conform to the knowledge of Christ? You got any strongholds that need to be demolished? You got any narratives that you need to leave behind because they are hindering you from living in the freedom of grace? We get so locked into damage control sometimes. So let, let, let me give you two, two quick things, and we're done, we're done. But, but catch this, and I, I want to make sure you understand this. Living in freedom means leaving the narrative of entitlement behind because of who we are. Let me reword that a little bit. Living in freedom means we have to leave the narrative of entitlement because of who we are behind. Does that make more sense? You ever feel entitled just because of who you are? You ever feel entitled? Just, hey, you're an American, you're entitled. I'm a church member, I'm entitled. I live in such and such, I'm entitled. I do such, it's, I have this job, I'm entitled, I'm a husband, I'm entitled. I'm. We live in this mindset of entitlement. And the problem is it confines your living to your own headspace. And you will never be able to get out of that loop. And you want to know what happens? What happens is this. Every adversity in your life becomes an injustice doesn't mean that there is not injustice that needs to be taken care of. But when every little problem that you have becomes some kind of an injustice, you're entitled. Every challenge that you face is a failure. Every inconvenience you take personally. What is that? That's living entitled. Let me say that one again every inconvenience you take personally. Let me just be real and raw with you, okay? This is a dumb example. This isn't like a huge one, but my wife and I decided to go out to eat last night. And so we went to a restaurant. I pulled in the restaurant, pulled in the parking lot. There's two other cars that pulled in right behind me. With the car still running, I said, you stay here. I jumped out of my car and ran in the restaurant. Why? Because I want to get in there ahead of these cars. I want to eat in this restaurant. They're not going to get in front of me. They go in in front of me and say, hey, uh, you know, we were here. I'll be like, wait a second. No, I was was here first. I pulled in. What is that? It's entitlement. Yeah. (laughs) Hungry. Hangry sometimes, right? (laughs) You say that's a dumb example. Yeah, I agree. But it's sometimes the way I think. What am I doing? I'm putting myself first. Every inconvenience. I I mention this a lot, but I can't help, I see examples of it, and then I I find myself falling into the same pattern. But doesn't it seem like everywhere that everyone has to go is the most important thing in the world? So like the people who are behind you, they really need you to stop driving. They need you to go away, because they're right on your tail, because where they need to go is far more important than wherever you're going. But then when people pull on the highway in front of me, and they're not going the speed limit, hello, McFly, did you go to happy day driving school? Get out of the way, you're in the left-hand lane. Every inconvenience becomes a personal affront to you. Where did we get that narrative? You say, well, how are we supposed to live? Living in freedom, catch this now, living in freedom means living in the narrative of grace because of whose we are. I'm going to try that one more time, because it's just sinking in, and some of you will respond a little more verbally if you hear it a second time. Living in freedom means living in the grace of God because of whose we are. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, and isn't that good news? Because, as I mentioned to you before, you and I were the masterminds of every bad decision we've ever made. So, if God is going to view me and judge me on the basis of all the decisions I've made, guess what? I lose. But God's Word says I win. Why? Because of who I am? No, 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 no. Because of whose I am. That's grace. And Paul wraps up as he's talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we know that probably this was the last letter that Paul ever wrote before his death. And as he's writing to his young spiritual son, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, he says this, Timothy, God saved us. And he called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan, catch this, from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. That was his plan for you before time was even measured was to show you his grace through Christ Jesus. So it's not easy It's going to be difficult. Paul says it's like waging war. It's the battle of your mind. But is it possible that your narrative is keeping you from living in the grace, living in the freedom that God has for you, living in the power that God has for you? And you've got to leave some of that narrative behind because if you look at it through the eyes of Jesus and you look at it, through God's grace, you can't think that way anymore. If you really are gonna bend that to the image of Christ, it changes your thinking. So, let me just give you a list, and for most of this list, many of you will be like, that's not me, I don't need to worry about that. But I'm gonna ask you some, some questions, and maybe one or two of them will be like, because eh. you'll have a response to some of this, And your response will be the narrative through which you see things, your experience, your events, your story. But if it doesn't conform to the thinking of Christ, then maybe we need to change the narrative. So let me just ask you these questions, and then we're going to pray and be done. Ready? Why don't you call your dad? Why don't you call your sister? Why don't you call your oldest son? Why do you drink so much? Why do you respond the way you do when people tell you you drink too much? Why'd you move in with him? Why'd you move in with her? Why are you not more generous with your money? Why do you despise Democrats? Republicans. Black people. White people. Brown people. Poor people. Homeless people Can you conform any of that thought to the knowledge of Christ? Why did you give up on God? Why'd you give up on church? Why'd you give up on your family? Why'd you give up on your relationship? Why'd you give up on that friendship? And there's a whole lot of questions. Those are just a few. But maybe they spark something inside that makes you think through your answer and you realize it doesn't really conform to the knowledge of Christ. It's not the kind of thinking that Christ came into the world to provide, and if I'm honest, it's holding me back from living in the freedom of his grace. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Maybe one of you is here today, or somebody's watching online, and there's never been the moment when you have experienced God's grace for your life. There's never been the moment when you have asked Christ to come into your heart and forgive your sin and be your Savior. He can do that right now. And you can experience firsthand the incredible grace and mercy of this unconditional, everlasting, loving God. He wants to provide you with his forgiveness. He he wants you to be able to put away your past and live in the future that he has for you. If you want that today, I want to encourage you to simply pray this prayer in your heart. You don't need to say it out loud. It's just between you and God. But if you want to know today that Christ lives in you, if you want to know the wrong in your life has been forgiven, if you want to know that heaven is your eternal destiny, then I want to pray this prayer for you, and I want you to repeat this prayer in your heart after me. Just simply say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. That you came, lived, died, and rose again for me. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and save me. I make you the Lord of my life. The Bible says that if you made that decision today, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is passed away, all things become new. If that's the decision you made and you're with us online today, I'd encourage you just to hit that tab that came up in front of you that says, today I accepted Christ. Just let us know of that decision. If you're here with us on our campus and you made that decision, would you just in the quietness of this moment just slip up your hand and put it down and say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life. Just slip up your hand and put it down. That's me. I invited Christ to come into my life. I may not know your name today, but God does. And rest assured that I will be praying for you, that he'll do something tangible in these next few days to help you realize the significance of the decision you have just made. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. These are some uh, some pretty strong words that Paul uses to encourage us to change the way that we think. To not conform our thought process, Lord, to the way the world would even encourage us to do it, but instead he says we are, we are to take captive every thought and bend it so that it conforms to you and your image. Lord, I don't know the narrative of many people here today or any of the people that are watching online. I don't know the background of experiences and events that they come from and the prism through which they see life, but I am pretty sure, Lord, that all of us have at least a little bit of work to do to make sure that we are conforming ourselves to become more like you Give us the strength, the ability, the patience to do that. And I pray, Lord, especially for those today who have some strongholds that need to be torn down. I pray that with divine power, you would give them the strength to do just that. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Appreciate you being here with us. let me just give you a little piece of homework, all right? Sometimes we do things and it's just preach a message and then, all right, change your life. How about if you try it for a week, all right? Just try it for a week. If you would just let your thought process endeavor to conform to the mind of Christ. It won't be easy. I'll tell you why it won't be easy, because people, Okay? As soon as you walk out these doors, get on Fourth Street, people, driving. Where they're going is more important than you. Won't be easy. But let's try it for a week. Just see if we can bend our thought process to conform to the image of Christ. Many of you are ending or have ended your 21 day fast. All right? Uh, I hope that you have stuck with it. But here's the other thing don't stop praying for whatever it is that you are asking God for a breakthrough on. Don't let the 21 days, well, he didn't answer my prayer, I'm done. No, this has just been a reminder. So now as you go back to whatever it is, okay, as I stop drinking Diet Verners, oh my gosh, and go back to, you know, God's beverage, Coke, and Coke Zero. Um, the, the thought process is when I go back to that now, I am still As I reach for that, I'm still praying for that breakthrough moment, for those breakthrough. We we, we break this war, this this life that we have, this Christian life, into segments that we can handle, okay? So do that with your thoughts this week. One thought at a time. Let's just try to tear down some of those strongholds and see if we can change the narrative. All right? Good? You get it? I hope so. Hope it makes a little sense. Come back next week. We're going to keep up on this unhindered Uh, way of leaving and letting go and living in the freedom that God provides.